Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and uh, back with us again this week, Jack's here. Yeah, sorry I'm back, but, you know, it had to happen eventually. I have nowhere else to go. Yeah, at this point, you're just, you're just a slave to the content mine like the rest of us, so... I keep, telling, I keep telling people I have a podcast by accident. <laughs> I don't like telling people about it, because... Like the people that ask are people that I don't necessarily want to listen to it. Like same, uh, same. No, they know. have to ask first, oh. and I'm like, yeah, but it's not like I meant to have this happen with my life. It just sort of did. Yeah, someone. It was like my my uncle, who's like 76 years old, and he was just like, "Oh, your podcast. You gotta send me a link to that." And then he's like, "Is it like the Daily?" And I was like, "No, it's not." <laughs> It is unfortunately not a bite-sized news show. The day my mother finds out I have a podcast is the day I no longer have a podcast. <laughs> it's probably fair. Uh, also joining us, uh, Jake and junior podcaster Dalton. Yeah, it's funny, uh, Jack, you say you have uh, nowhere to go, except for when you spend a weekend in Salem and suddenly you're unavailable to record for a month. <laughs> a yeah, well, it's, it's a weekend there, a weekend somewhere else, you know. I'm a man of the people. I spread myself around. He's just, he's jet-setting around with all our Patreon money. Yeah. <laughs> Visiting the spooky Opulent haunts of vacation. America's past. Uh-huh, uh-huh, typical. He's a, he's a real fucking coastal elite. Uh, and, well, you know, other than these two idiots, we've got, and myself, in that same category, we got a special guest today. Uh, he's a writer, he's a translator, he's a Hong Kong film enthusiast. And uh, maybe you've seen him on Twitter.com. I don't know. Uh, Dylan Chong's here. Hey. Dylan, how's it going, yeah, man? Yeah, good. Nice to have me. I mean, nice for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> there we go. This is off to a great start. <laughs> it is nice to have you. <laughs> it's very nice to have We're you, doing Dylan. Wonderful. I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah, if we can trick a few more people who are clearly above our pay grade, which is zero, it should be added. That's how much money all of us are making <laughs> currently from this endeavor. You know, maybe we can we can boost it up. Let's get big in Australia. We were previously big in Norway for reasons none of us understand. Really? Must yeah. be all the swearing. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, we're like a top, weren't yeah, we like a top rated it. film podcast in Norway? I feel like the Norwegians are big on swearing. Yeah. Uh, they must love it. Could be. <laughs> is that what, is that the takeaway from our podcast is that we swear a lot? You swear more than the other <laughs> ones, I reckon. I like it though. Oh jeez. I don't know. Yeah, probably more than the other ones. That's, that's fair. That's it's fair. chill. It's good. It's uh, good. Are, it's, it's, it's really. We are a profane there's no, bunch. Um, there's no pretension, which is what I like. Oh, oh God, no, oh, we yeah. can't afford that. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a simple man. I, yeah. yeah. You can't see, but I record a with a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be like Myros and I just lived with each other for five years, and but this is before we had a podcast, so we would just drink and and scream and swear at each other about movies, and we're like, wow, I bet I bet the world needs to hear this. So uh, <laughs> here we are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is going to be a fun week because uh, I mean, speaking of content that can go a little bit blue at times, we're going to be talking about Category Three Hong Kong films, which I'm super pumped about, uh, mostly because. I feel like even among people that tend to listen to this podcast, whether they're, you know, cinephiles or just, uh, you know, misanthropes who like exploitation cinema, I think there's a lot of common misconceptions about what category film 
or what category three films are and what they aren't. Uh, I, I, a lot of people, I think, tend to just lump them all in with, uh, you know, like Ebola syndrome. I feel like that's the baseline for a category three film in Hong Kong. And certainly that, you know, that that counts. But there's a real diversity of of style and, and creativity. It's not just untold story and Ebola syndrome and stuff like that. Um, it's it's not even just like the pseudo pornographic stuff, uh, because and correct me if I'm wrong. To get the category three distinction, there's a lot of things that can get you that that you might not normally think of in terms of like extreme violence and stuff like that. Like basically in Hong Kong, category one is G, category two is PG, and then category three is like NC seventeen more or less. There's like a two A so, and a two B, yeah, but yeah, those split between, and then mm-hmm. three is uh, the newest of the categories, I believe, came in. Late 80s, yeah. I think. And late yeah. 80s. Late 80s, yep. <clears throat> and then with Category 3, it, it, it can be something like, you know, oh, I'm watching Erotic Ghost Story and there's been a, a horse's penis transplanted onto a, a man or, you know, something like that, which we love. But uh, it could be as simple as, like, just mentioning the triads a few too many times can get you a Category 3 distinction. So there's a lot of diversity there, um, which kind of leads us to where we are with with the show today which is viva erotica and i think uh, dylan probably not your prototypical category three movie even though it's a movie about category three movies it's like the cat three uh eight and a half basically right yeah it's a bit like that i mean the thing about category three is like you mentioned it's a bit it's it's basically hong kong's nc-17 um Actually, I don't actually know if there's a difference between NC-17 and the X rating, but, you know, it'll be well, it'll be one or the other. The, the X rating, I believe, was retired for the NC-17 in America, but then no one made, no one wanted the NC-17, so they just kind of, they don't exist anymore, because America just went goofy with it, basically. Because something I randomly rewatched because I knew yeah. we were going to watch Viva Erotica, was I watched, um, what's it called, Inserts? The movie with uh, Bob Hoskins and is it oh, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss, which where it's about they oh, yeah, um, yeah. they make the transition visit to sound film, but they they go into making pornos or whatever. Anyway, I kind of just watched that randomly because it was like I haven't seen this before, and we're doing a movie. We're, we're going to talk about a movie that's about making a porno, and they're kind of related. So that just kind of got me watching that. And I read somewhere that like Richard Dreyfuss fought to have it not get an X rating, but an NC seventeen rating. And that just completely kind of threw me off because I was like, I thought they were the same thing. But yeah. Yeah, this, there was a transitional period because I think it was kind of like ran up. I'm not 100% on, but I think it was like, you know, Midnight Cowboy, I think was X and it won an Oscar mm. and it kind of tightened the the push for like, look, everyone thinks X is for porno because 90% of them are porn. Uh, so can we get a new rating for racy stuff? So they came up with the NC-17 and retired the X but then no one, everyone was like, no, we won't show NC-17 rated stuff. So it just kind of died again. So I, th- I think, I think they, I think one straight replaced the other. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, little, little backstory. It looks like because the X rating could not be trademarked in America and pornography started to just slap it on all of its contact just to show that there's adult themes in their, in their videos. So they kind of transitioned <laughs> away from that. And that's why NC-17, which is a trademarked rating, came about to, to say, hey, no one under 18 can get into this. That's a true American so, solution. Is they had to find yeah. something like a trademark. Exactly. <laughs> well, 
Well, and also classic American fashion too. Like you could have all kinds of ultra violence and still just get an R rating and it's no big deal. But like, I don't know, you, you show too much vagina in American movies and then that's when you start dancing around the NC-17. So we care deeply about, you know, and the, the human body over here, but you know, it, I'm, ripping limbs off is totally kind fine. of fascinating. Yeah. Cause like the, the cat three rating in Hong Kong was sort of a, it, you know, like I say, it was, it was basically, I think there was, there was industry pressure, right, to, like, get a new rating because Category 2B, which would be kind of, like, in between PG-13 and or, uh, you know, like, I mean, John Woo mm. movies are, like, Watercat 2B when you consider the amount of violence in them. So it's a pretty, like, yeah, leeway well, rating. Well, basically what I understand... Oh, the funny thing is... Oh, yeah, go. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, what I'm I understand is basically, uh, initially there was no, uh, there was no actual sort of, you know, set in stone film classification. And so anyone could go see anything. And then one thing that happened was, yeah, you had sort of John Woo gangster movies, especially something like A Better Tomorrow, which is a really, really big deal in Hong Kong and just sort of um, East Asia in general. And then that was sure. that was kind of seen as being a, oh, they're, they're glorifying criminals. We've got to do something. And then that's sort of like, if you sort of ask the person on the street who was around the time, that's probably what they will tell you happened. But my understanding is that another thing was that they wanted to show more foreign language films, which might not necessarily make it past the censor. And so I very vividly recall, I think it was maybe someone like Boardwell said that, oh, one of the first Category 3 films, or the reason that they kind of implemented a classification system was so they could show Last Temptation of Christ. Because that would have otherwise uh, not been able to have, like, they just wouldn't have yeah. let them show it. But now if we could, had... Could have just done what... Could have done what Ireland did and just ban it. <laughs> well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> and have and have vocal protests. Yeah. Jesus Didn't having that sex one at all. Gasp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh yeah, Last Temptation. And then the other one that helped kind of solidify the uh the rating system was uh Men Behind the Sun, yeah. which uh is, you know, like mainland China and uh you know, re real real fucked up. So that makes sense. Uh although I guess it, as far as like what you can show and what you can't show. Um, if you want to do like a category three style movie, but you choose to demonize the Japanese, then you can still get it distributed in mainland China. That's, that's the key apparently. <laughs> Cause uh, that's, that's how they got away with everything. So, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. Last temptation especially was like, okay, well we want to get, you know, these externally uh, distributed movies in here. How do we do it? And then, you know, you end up with category three. Um, it's, but yeah, it is kind of wild to me because especially like, you know, in mainland China now, it's like, okay, well, if you ship a Marvel movie over there, it's going to get chopped up into something different before they show it. Uh, but like when Hacksaw Ridge came out a few years ago, zero edits for Hacksaw Ridge because they're like, no, this, this one's fine. It, nothing, nothing going on here that's a little uncouth, so don't that's worry about it. zany, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I suppose because like you've kind of hinted at uh, Steve, like, the, the strange thing about Category 3 is that, like, it in the West, it absolutely has a reputation. Like, Category 3 is zany, over-the-top violence and sex, like, just exploitation cinema. But then also, Viva Erotica is Category 3, and it, it has it has sexual content in it, but that's because it's about 
uh, category three filmmaking, but it's not like it's it's really not a salacious film particularly. In fact, it's like the weirdest, most wholesome softcore porno in existence in a certain sense. It's it's very peculiar yeah. in that sense. And then you had stuff like um you know Wonka Why is uh, Happy Together is also a Cat Three movie because it's about uh, I guess a gay relationship and very frank about that. But you know. <laughs> not not something Western audiences would. That's also got really, you know, that's got pretty, you know, it, that's got a lot of sex in it. It does, I suppose it's true. It's yeah, that, but you know, a it's lot not of banging in it, that. Yeah, in in the West, it doesn't have the <laughs> reputation of being like you know sleazy, no, no, sleazy no. exploitation movie. And then you know there is this thing, and even even like and something I love about the Hong Kong film industry, it seems to have completely collapsed the high lowbrow distinction that like european auteurs fought against like hong kong was like we don't give a shit well you don't even acknowledge this because like untold story which absolutely in the west you know everywhere is like a, a pretty wild exploitation film i mean anthony wong won basically the best actor award at like the what the oh, hong yeah. kong film awards and he showed up in character too which is amazing <laughs> Yeah, will never happen in America. They'll they'll never they'll never get on and that like, level. Anthony Wong is so bitter about that as well, which I love. Like every time someone asks him about all that stuff, and then he's like, "Oh, but they're like, oh, but you know, you won Best Actor for Untold Story." And he goes, "Yeah, I won Best Actor for Pork Buns, for fucking Pork Buns. Who gives a shit?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he has like two hundred other roles they could have also championed. Uh, some of them are a little bit more uh, reserved. That, than that, including honestly, even his role here, where he shows up basically as Wong Jing, which is hey, who better to do it? Yeah. Um. God. I yeah. I I forgot that he won that Oscar or not Oscar for the the Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, that was his first that. one. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and I suppose it's worth yeah. like it's worth Viva Erotica is also an award winning film. You know, it it won mm. several awards. I think it got nominations to Golden Horse in Taiwan, and then it won several at the Hong Kong Film Awards. I think it won Shu uh, K certainly won Best Actress. Well, it's the one that um, made her into like a real mm -hmm. actress, right? Because she was just yeah, sort of yeah. oh, she's she's the one who gets her kid off. Like that was all she was at the time, and then it was like oh no, yeah. she can actually act. And then, you know, yeah. yeah, she's in, you know, Millennium Mambo, etc. Yeah, and and now it's gotten to the point where, like, <laughs> if you were to name, like, three great Chinese actors of the last couple of decades, it's like Gong Li, Tang Wai, and, and Shu Ke, basically. Yeah, and she started off in, what, mm. Sex and Zen 2, so there you go. <laughs> and and <laughs> the thing I learned, um, I watched an interview with uh, with uh, Lo Chi Lung, the, the director, the co-director of this, but actually kind of the main director. We'll probably talk a little more about that as we go. But uh, he says that the, the crew on Sex and Zen 2 warned against using her because she couldn't act. <laughs> it's just like, well, that interesting in history that that how that worked out. <laughs> Wait, is, is Sex and Zen 2 or is it 3? Which one is the one with the horse penis? Uh, that's the first one. I'm pretty sure. That's the yeah, first they got one. That okay. one. They got that out of the way quickly, Steve. You know, I, I think that's yeah, in the source yeah. material. I, I'm not sure, but, you know, because, <laughs> you know, all of those, like, period piece softcore pornos are, like, based on, you know, oh, ancient Chinese erotica. And, yeah, no, I, I think the horse penis is canon. I think that's, like, a thing that happens in it. <laughs> you can't cut yeah. the horse penis. Well, Honestly, and this, believe it or not, I can tie this to what we're, what we actually watched this week, but yeah, I mean, okay, so it's a softcore porn and there's a, a, a horse penis gag, uh, <laughs> but that's one of the things that I love 
about Category 3 films, and it, you definitely see it in Viva Erotica, is a lot of them tend to oscillate between different genres almost like effortless, effortlessly. And so something could be, you know, titillating softcore pornography, uh, but also have all these goofy comedic beats and extreme violence. Like it's not just one thing or the other. Uh, the the diversity of style and, and, and the creativity in Category 3 films it's it's pretty universal, you know. I it, obviously there's some that are, you know, straight sex films or straight exploitation, but, uh, but with a movie like Viva Erotica, it's kind of wild because it, it's you know at times it's goofy slapsticky comedy. Uh, there's this this dreamlike quality to it that is amazing, uh, and, and then there's plenty of like higher brow kind of almost like in jokes, you know. Uh, whether it's the various cameos or uh, my personal favorite, there's the gag where they start shooting this porno movie and they go and they look at the dailies and it's all this like shaky, like shutter speed stuff. And they, they basically yell at the director. They're like, you're not fucking Wong Kar Wai. Like quit doing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At one, at one point there, they implored the director less Wong Kar Wai, more Wong Jing, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, the caliber we're occupying. <laughs> which is good and it's 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 just great that the uh the, the movie it's it's constantly working on both those levels where there's all kinds of like sight gag stuff but also you know if you know hong kong cinema then you can there's kind of like like a little extra layer there of, of comedy uh but also like at one point a guy jacks off into a little cup because they're looking for the perfect consistency for semen so you know it's <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Dylan. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Like, I actually find the one thing that doesn't work for me completely, and I really like the movie, is that the kind of references to real people and real things, the movie does this weird thing where sometimes they'll just outright say, no, they'll outright name someone or they'll outright reference something like, you know, kind of early on in the movie, he goes and watches a Category 3 movie, you know, at the cinema. And he's watching, I think it's a Chinese torture chamber story or whatever it's called. Yeah. And they actually show footage from that movie and they name that movie and they even go, oh, it's produced by Wang Jing and all that. But then there'll be like other sort of references where they, they're kind of either thinly veiled or they make parodies of them. And so this is like the only, like my real only criticism of the movie is that, and that I find that really strange in that, well, why didn't you just make them all parodies or why didn't you just name them all if kind of, it doesn't really seem to matter. So like sort of like right in the again near the beginning when he's like hanging out with all like his unemployed friends at the bar. And um I don't know how they've translated it, but then at one point one of them brings up a specific movie and they say that the director uses a Japanese like pseudonym. And then they all kind of make guesses about who who it is, and they all go, Oh, it's Herman, like implying it's Herman Yao. But they've kind of changed the name of the movie and they've changed the name of the pseudonym in that. And it's just kind of like, it's like little things like that where I guess it does like, I mean, you kind of have to know what they're referencing for it to sort of, you know, stand out. But that's the only thing about the movie that kind of I find mm -hmm. very odd. I suppose it's, um, I, I guess they're kind of walking like the production of this movie is a little bit peculiar. So I, as I understand it, it started with Bosco Lam, mm -hmm. who was kind of originated a film about his experiences making Category 3 movies which is probably why uh, Bosco Lam did direct Chinese torture chamber stories. So I guess he was, he was you know, in enough on the production. He has a story credit. Uh, I think he was originally going to be the director and then he got 
pulled away to do something else. So he's probably like in in the inner sanctum enough they can straight up reference him. And the other director they straight up reference is Derek Yee, who is accredited director of this film. Although he may have more lent his reputation to it, uh, that uh, Lo Chi Lung is was actually the the main director and progenitor of the project at this point. But he he was quite inexperienced at the time. He's more of an assistant director. So Derek Yee came on board to lend a certain credence to it. I don't know, you know, how much, if any, he, he directed, but, you know, so the, there was kind of like this movement around, um, different guys. So I guess maybe the, the, the references and stuff came from how close people were. Cause I think th there is something about this movie that I think they don't actually want to offend anyone. Probably. Cause I'm guessing they probably meet them. Except all the Long time. Jane, probably. Except, and here's the weird thing, because <laughs> yeah, Wong Jing comes off like a complete asshole in the one scene, Anthony Wong shows up, they're all out of work, Anthony Wong's throwing money around, he's flush, because Wong Jing never loses money, he's like Hong Kong Roger Corman. Well, let's be and honest, it's, and if you've seen Wong Jing, I think having Anthony Wong play you is flattering more than anything. Like, you, you, <laughs> you know what Wong Jing looks know, like, and then it's like, you put him next to Anthony Wong, it's like, yeah, you know, I'd be pretty happy with Anthony Wong playing him. That, that's probably a fair point. What what I thought was really funny is uh, on it's just, this movie just got like a new US Blu-ray release from Connie releasing, and on that they have an interview with Lo Chi Lung, um, a really good like half hour interview. And one of the funny elements of that is that they ask him about the representation of Wang Jing, and he just straight up says he doesn't remember they ever put Wang Jing in it, even though it's like the most overt reference in the whole movie. Well, to be fair, <laughs> they, they do name Wang Jing when they're talking about, like, you know, they talk about Chinese torture chamber story and they're going, it's produced by Wang Jing. But oh, when Anthony true. Wong actually shows up, I don't think they explicitly say it's Wang Jing. They just call him Director Wong. So it's like, it's, it's obviously Wang Jing, but then, you know, they don't kind of directly go, oh yeah, it's totally Wang Jing. So it's another dude. They're, yeah, just the other director, very successful Cat 3 director Wong. But, but then you also have that other cameo of, um, like, there's, there's the fake Derek Yee in it who kills himself because his movie does badly. Yes. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's the strangest thing <laughs> ever. Where... His interpretation of a streetcar named Desire that doesn't yeah. make any money. And, and again, you see, like, that's based off of an actual movie and then they don't reference the actual movie. So I, this is why I was saying before, where, like, that's the kind of stuff that's weird to me. But I do like they call it, um, so the name of the mm -hmm. movie in it, oh, it's like, uh, it's like Chariot, Chariot Without a Wheel, I think is what it's actually called. Which is why... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's something pretentious yeah, it's like, like that. It's like, yeah, what's a, wheel. a chariot without wheels? You, you can't go anywhere. Because yeah, the actual movie they're talking about is Full Throttle, which the Chinese title is like, you know, oh, it's like Extreme extreme Chariot or something, even though it's about like motorcycle racing. But yeah, that's <laughs> the movie they're, they're referencing. And that movie was very popular. So it's like this weird kind of like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we have... If we have a character who's the director of this movie, but then we make it pretend that their last movie tanked and so they killed themselves. It's very, yeah, it's very it's, respectful. It's kind of a irony with that situation is that after he kills himself, the next day they look at the box office and that movie make, made like its budget back just because the director died. And there's this, this weird little like a dramatic irony in him killing himself and then his movie doing actually performing really well. I mean, I think but he'll never I, live to see it. I think something that like Viva Erotica really leans into. And I think it is it's something that, you know, you hear about the Hong Kong film market, which is that like I think 
the golden age, and probably always, but like the golden era of Hong Kong cinema, which would have been what, from like the early 80s through to the mid 90s. This, I guess, Viva Rodigo would kind of be considered on the tail end of it to some degree, except for like the mm-hmm. upper echelons. But, um, it, you know, it, uh, the Hong Kong cinema is like maybe the most crassly commercial cinema in the whole world in terms of like the, the, the immediate response to consumer feedback the immediacy of box office success, the fact that, I mean, I've heard, and I, I Dylan, you may be able to confirm this, I, I've heard, like, individual theatre owners would, like, edit the movies themselves even after the producer might edit to make it, like, more snappy or more, you know, this or that, like, individual theatre owners be like, no, my audiences, you know, they don't care about the lovey-dovey stuff, so I'm just gonna snip that out of this movie and gain back, like, a couple just extra minutes. throw that reel in the trash. <laughs> you know, but, like, and this seems to be, like, the, the Hong Kong movie model was this intensely commercial thing where and you know like uh, the the Derek E movie they go to the the no tire chariot or whatever is it's it's titled um going off of the the Connie releasing subtitles um like that the the midnight screening the original preview screening i believe like whole films get upended if they don't do well on like one screening or that that used to be i believe a thing like the the midnight screening people would go in was like a preview and if audiences didn't like it they'd do the Roger Corman like bring it back in and be like no we need to fix this you know like there was there was very little patience from the majority of films like I would assume a director really had to establish themselves before they could push back and kind of exert you know a vision there was this intense kind of like scrutiny like everything has to be what the audience wants it to be and if it isn't you know we'll fix it you know your 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 artistic vision is you know we don't care like if that goes along with it fine you know um, which is, you know, the the pressing point of the film is that our our director, played of course by the great Leslie Chung, he he has high flutin ideas about creating art, but he is his films all fail commercially, and this movie can't fail commercially. They kind of reference it a bit in kind of yeah when they go to the midnight screening, and then sort of there's the people outside kind of asking the audience what they thought of the movie, etc. So basically for. Something that kind of people generally don't sort of remember is that for the longest time, like Hong Kong was really poor and super working class. It sort of doesn't really kind of um, like things don't really get better until the 1970s. And so a lot of the people who were actually going to the movies would have been like, you know, kind of like like manual laborers and construction workers and people like that who would have just gone like that because that was sort of the biggest form of entertainment was that they would go to the movies after work. And because everyone in Hong Kong works ridiculous hours, there was like the the midnight screening. So they would all go to the midnight screening and the midnight screening was usually the premiere. And if they didn't like it, they would just, you know, they would, you know, shout at the screen and chuck things. For some reason, um, (laughs) the sugar cane was really like kind of a popular cinema food. And so they would spit like the sugar cane at the screen (laughs) and they would do it like they were really rowdy and terrible. And like it was apparently something that like the Taiwanese filmmakers, when they visited Hong Kong for the first time, were like, completely shocked by they were like oh my god like <laughs> like why is this happening and yeah like that and that would kind of be you know your, the premiere would also be the test screening and so if the audience didn't like it then you know they had to go and recut it straight away which is yeah like what happened with like a lot of john woo movies uh you know Wong Kar wise days of being wild like infamously had a really bad midnight screening to the point that it was like yeah no like this this can't be the movie we put out so, um, yeah, it's like, I think part of it is that because Hong Kong is such a small place and then you have a film industry 
catered specifically, well, initially, specifically to quite a small number of people, of course you're going to listen to, you know, what everyone thinks about your movie because, you know, they're the people who are paying you. And I think that's where yeah. the commercialism comes from. It really comes from because this was a very small industry that was aimed at a fairly small market. Yeah. And I, and I suppose the, the flip side of that, of course, is that despite this very immediate commercial feedback, I mean, there was this tremendous artistic talent that emerged and was cultivated and conquered the world to some degree. I mean, you know, Hong Kong cinema through the 80s and 90s was almost inescapable, particularly when Jackie Chan went big, you know, but prior Bruce Lee, you know, um, and John Woo, I mean, these guys were, were took over the world to some degree, and they came from a, a screening where, and even Wong Kar Wai is the, the art house darling of the 90s, came from, yes, yeah, a, a cinema where apparently Wong Kar Wai's movie, they'd just go like, no, no, we gotta fix this, this isn't good, this isn't right. I don't know, maybe American, uh, Theaters should like adopt this, you know, chopping up movies and and listening to audience reactions. Because I, I mean, what what if we would have done that with Wong Kar Wai's My Blueberry Nights? Do you think that would have gotten a better reception? I don't think you can save that movie. <laughs> they would have let me take a hacksaw to it. <laughs> I think that movie is unsalvageable. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I. It's it, it's one of those ones though where I like to I like to think about it every once in a while. I just kind of laugh to myself. Like <laughs> it, it's like it's like someone. It's like um. It's like if you described um Paris, Texas to someone, and then they just had to remake it by memory. <laughs> that would be an amazing experiment. <laughs> that, that's what so. I feel like it is. It's like someone described like a well. This is a really odd house road like road trip like a road, very odd house Americana road trip movie. And then this person had never been to America before. And then you, you had to make this movie. That's what my Blueberry Nights feels like to me. I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty accurate assessment. <laughs> that gets my full endorsement. Uh, but God, yeah. But I, I, I love the way that they show the audience reactions. It just like people just like run up to them on the street. It's just like, what'd you think of this? What'd you think of this? And they see the director. They're like, so since you released a giant piece of shit that exactly three people said they hated, what's it like to have your career be completely over? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. And what's, what's funny is, I mean, looking into this, this film being released, I mean, this film was subject to the same kind of critical scrutiny because so as I understand, originally this film was going to be pretty low budget. It was, you know, it's I mean, it's a meta comedy about category three movie making. It's, you know, it's it's a very specific niche it's in. And somehow along the way, Leslie Chung got involved. And Leslie Chung, of course, was at this point a superstar, not just of movies, but of music as well. He was he was huge. Um and so when Leslie Chung got involved, suddenly it, it couldn't be a low-budget movie anymore. It couldn't just be, you know, something they dash out on the side. Uh, and then also the fact that it was a Category 3 movie meant that all the media in Hong Kong was like, you know, so what are we going to see? Like, well, what parts of Leslie Chung are we going to see? And Karen Mock was also an established... Um, she was she was not, I, I, to my understanding, well-established in the industry. She'd done several films like Stephen Chow coming up at this point already, but she was probably still better known as a pop star i think at this point but you know like the idea is like this is going to be like a raunchy sexy movie starring you know leslie chung and karen mock and then shuke was making a name for herself but she was known for raunchy sexy movies up until this point so 
kind of fit the bill. I don't know how well known she would have been in Hong Kong at this point. Um, I think she'd made more movies in Taiwan. Uh, at this point, I think Sex and Zen was like her big Hong Kong production at this point. But like, I mean, we still have a, a bunch of other kind of big actors. I mean, you have uh, Lao Chi Wong, or uh, yeah, Lao Chi Wong is is in here uh, as a as Derek Yee Derek and Yee. so on. Like, there's various there's various recogn- and Anthony Wong. There's like various <laughs> recognizable people in this. But you know, this movie was came up the exact same way. It was like. Leslie Chung is gonna be in a Category Three movie, and like everyone was like, "Okay, so do we do we see his ass? Like, what's what's <laughs> happening?" You know, <laughs> I might have gotten my order wrong, but I think initially, from what I remember, it's that Derek E wanted um, Jackie Chung to play the lead role. Um, Jackie Chung's right. mainly a pop star, but he has been in. I mean, he he has a very you know healthy career on screen as well he plays yeah the, i mean he's, he's a name i'd recognize yeah, he's or a the, face well, I mean, i'd recognize i guess for a lot of people he's like one of his most famous roles is um he's the he's the friend in as tears go by i can't remember his name right now um but like the one who tells the guy to go eat shit like that's sort of one of his big memorable lines but yeah they want they initially wanted him to do it and i think he kind of said he looked at what they wanted to do and they're like well i can't possibly do this because this is a category three movie and so he turned it down, and then they approached Leslie Chung for some reason, and then he was game, but then due to, you know, something happened and he couldn't do it. And then what had actually happened was they actually settled on Stephen Chow. And Stephen <laughs> Chow was going to do it. Like it, it, was, it was done. It was like, no, Stephen Chow is going to be in this movie, which is why in the movie, Leslie Chung's character is Sing, because uh, Stephen Chow's Chinese name is Devil Sing T. So it's like, He's actually oh. named after Stephen oh. Chow because there's certain characters in the movie who basically have their real name, like to the you know to the character they're playing, and because it was too late, they couldn't change it. And then because uh, Stephen Chow kind of dropped out really last minute, there was creative differences, as as is common with Stephen Chow, which is why you know we don't have a Stephen Chow directs uh, Seth Rogen Green Hornet. But apparently <laughs> there were uh, yeah creative differences. He dropped out right at the last minute. And so Derek E called in Leslie Chung as a favor, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then this is why we have Leslie Chung. So that's one thing. So it was always going to be kind of a weird sort of. There would have always been a bit of a, I guess, kind of a stunt marketing aspect to it of like, "Oh, like we've got all these big stars, and they're going to be in a Category Three movie." Like, like imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Stephen Chow would have. It would have been a different damn movie with him, I, I think. Very different energies <laughs> brought to the I'm screen. I'm really curious what he would have, like, I'm really curious where the creative differences were. Like, I wonder if, because they got Stephen Chow, if they would have wanted it to be more funny. But then at the time, I think Stephen Chow was already, like, starting to get really, you know, serious. And he would have been like, no, well, I don't, I want to play this completely straight. Which, yeah, would have been fascinating because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the thing that strikes me in this movie, and it's a very funny dynamic, is obviously Leslie Chung's character, want, you know, he sees himself as an artist and he wants to make a good movie, like a real movie, and he doesn't want to make a softcore porno movie. And so much of this movie is just reaction shots of Leslie Chung looking so utterly sad <laughs> while everything is happening around him <laughs> so much of the film is just which in, in a sense honestly is almost uh, affecting given you know the the tragedy of leslie chung's life and he would you know his he would eventually be lost to suicide just a few years after this um you know like he always he, he had that 
that kind of energy on screen, which was, you know, really wonderful when you see it. But in this film, it's like this very pronounced kind of like, it's funny in the film because it's this clear gulf between his expectations and the film that he's ultimately being forced to make. I Stephen Chow would have been... It, yeah, it just would have been very different. I, I don't know if he would have reined it in as much. Yeah, like, I mean, at at that point, that Chow bad. was already kind of... um. I think this would have been around like the time Forbidden City Cop and all that was was out, and yeah. he he was already kind of kind of taking a back seat during the time, which is so. I'm kind of yeah, it it could have gone both ways. I'm always kind of wondering. I wonder if Stephen Chow wanted to play it too straight, and then they were like, "Well, we can't possibly have that because this is sort of a comedy, and then we have Stephen Chow, so we can't even if you're even if you can, you know, you can bring the dramatic chops. It can't just be completely, you know, a hundred percent serious." But, you know, it's just one of those what ifs. We'll never know. Yeah. Yeah, it would, it would have been, I guess, uh, he would have done the nudity. I've, I feel <laughs> like that would have been no problem for him. He might not have even <laughs> have been asked. God knows. Some of, the, some of the, the, the humor he's drawn from that in the past is uh, pretty wild. Thinking of that crazy, what is it, a king of comedy uh, joke that I think has been cut from all regular prints involving... A child, a naked child, and it's like it's the zaniest thing I've ever seen. I don't know what he was even thinking when he started that joke, but anyhow, if anyone has any curiosity about that, go seek an old copy of King of Comedy. It's a very good movie. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> specifically for those reasons, Jack, is that what you? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's great. I'm trying to remember what the joke is exactly, but it involves it involves a totally nude, nude child, and like Stephen Chow is just like flicking his penis for reasons that are utterly <laughs> incomprehensible to me, and that's and that's a joke, and I believe it has been excised from. I haven't watched a newer copy. It screened here in like 35 mil yeah, a, a couple of weeks back. I was going to say I remember. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. No, I couldn't make it to that screening, and I'm. I wish I could have, because I'm like, is it in there? Did that make it to America? Jack, I feel like we've, we're kind of establishing a trend with you, because I think the last <laughs> time we dipped our toes into some Category 3 stuff, there was a child's penis in the movie. That was, was a Wang Jing special in, in high tension <laughs> with the, the Jackie Chan uh, yeah. joke. <laughs> where they where they imply that Jackie Chan has a baby's penis. And that has Jackie Chung in it, doesn't it? So yeah, there you go. It well, all yeah, swings I keep back. forgetting. Yeah, he's the he he's yeah. Jackie Chan in that. He is. He's Jackie Chan, the the shit eating fucking imposter Jackie Chan who wouldn't work with, Ch <laughs> with with Wong Jing so he decided to just like defame him in an entire movie uh, which is again something I love because can you imagine a Hollywood movie that is just like overtly dedicated to shitting on a, a like celebrity a top tier celebrity I you know I can't and that's a shame because I think they should do it more often I think it'd be really funny yeah I agree. I think Hollywood would be a lot better off if they were just meaner to each other, you know? 100%. Come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. There's, there's just so many things about this movie that I really admire. And it, I, even, like, down to the end, because it's it, it sort of, I don't want to say it goes off the rails, but by the time, the, like, the, the movie wraps itself up and they're, and they're able to, like, finish the film they're making in the movie, uh, then you kind of wonder, it's like, okay, well, are they just going to release it? It's going to be successful and, and this, that, and the other thing. But the film actually, it, the way it wraps up, I think is kind of interesting because it's like they finally reached this point where they confuse the artistic vision 
uh, with, with the hardcore pornography, uh, which is like a wonderful little metaphor for what category three films can be. But I, I love the coda on the end because it's the most like dummy screwball bullshit. It's even got the music to match. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like turns to the camera. It's like, so I bet you're wondering what happened to everybody. <laughs> just go down the list. Oh, are you fucking kidding that's, me that's what i like uh I, the director points this out in his interview is that um the crew members that we see on this film set it was the actual crew of the film uh and towards the end there's this great fire that happens on set one of the guys is hospitalized with like third degree burns and they go and visit him and he's like hey did we finish the movie and he's like yeah they're like yeah but you're not you know look so well and he's like well at least i'll get to see my name in the credits right and sometimes you just need that little bit of affirmation to know to know that everything was worth it, even though you were ended up in the hospital with third degree burns. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what I what I do actually really like about this film is that it it is as I say, very it's oddly wholesome. It's a film about the work, um, and it, it is a film about yes, letting go of artistic pretensions because sometimes they don't they they won't pan out, and that you know, but you could find art again by embracing the work. And and that's kind of what the film is. Leslie Chung is trying to make an art film when he's supposed to be making a porno and everyone it doesn't know what they're doing and everyone's very unhappy and he suddenly comes to a realisation that, you know what, if he's got to have his name attached, he should make a good porno and gets everyone on board and then and then the film kind of comes together from that and, and it actually it, it takes on an artistic perspective or an artistic element. Um you know, I, I like one of the things I really love about this film is Shu Kei's performance. Um for which, as we've mentioned, she was award-winning. She she got a best act or best supporting actress award at the the Hong Kong Film Awards. And what I really love about this film is that she starts as like a quote unquote porn actress. Like she her like one of her first big scenes is a really funny scene where she's trying not to do nudity in a movie where they they need she's like they're supposed to raise her arms above her head to like drop her clothes and she just keeps one hand holding her clothes up at all times. But she is very visibly badly acting like she's doing terrible acting and that's all of Shuke's early performance in the film is her being a porn actress and acting really badly and then through as as the things develop she becomes a good actress and towards the end of it she becomes a real person on the set contributing and you know understanding what her role is and she becomes a you know a real actress and, you know, it's like an odd magic trick. Almost, you know, if you were to look at her career and the catalyst this would be, you know, because, I mean, Shuke was, prior to this, was mostly known for, you know, being the naked girl in, in various movies. And then a year or two after this, she would be headlining, well, I mean, she'd be the female lead to Jackie Chan in Gorgeous, which was, if if not the best-loved Jackie Chan film, it's still a Jackie Chan film. It's a big deal. Uh, it's a, a huge yeah. development. Oh, for sure. It, you were um, saying that it's really wholesome, and that's kind of one thing that sticks out about it as well, is that a lot of Category 3 movies, because, you know, for the most part, a lot of them were exploitation films, etc. Like, this one is also, there's something really uncynical about it. It kind yes. of, it really does genuinely kind of go... It, it, it's like, yes, we love movies and we love movie making, even when it sucks. Like, there's something just very, it's not like they kind of, even, you know, even though they go and make fun of all of these real life industry figures, even at, at the end of the day, the movie is about just, you know, yeah, we put up with all this bullshit because 
we love movies. We just want to make movies. It doesn't matter as long as, you know, you do what you love and you do it well. Yeah, I think I think it's funny within the film. I mean, a running gag in the early parts of the film is like they just keep running into film directors and none of them are making movies. They're all unemployed. Like they're they're either unemployed all just drinking or like they take a taxi in one scene and the taxi driver turns out to be a movie director. You know, this is just my side gig or whatever. Um, and it's, you know, a running gag, obviously, that like these directors are all just on hard times, mostly, you know, but but also... Um, like, I'm trying to think, I think the taxi journey turns into, at some point, like, it, it turns into a commercial. It's like this, which the movie does a lot. It, it, it you know, changes around. It's just, um, I, I take my notes, there's, there's a scene where they're all sitting around and, and writing a movie. Or, yeah, okay, so so they're, they're like, doing things where, I've remembered. Okay, so there's, there's a scene where Leslie Chung is talking about his unemployment, and he's really bummed out about it. And he's having this fantasy about that turns into, like, a, a commercial for the employment agency. And there's, like, there's, <laughs> there's like, this flip to it. But, but like, the point of the, of the film seems to be that, like, there's, the, you know, you apply yourself wherever. You know, if you're going to be a director, you've got to be game to direct anything. And, you know, there's this constant discussion and, and pull and, and push between artistic versus commercial vibes. But, you know, it's it's very much, like, if you know we do whatever we have to do because like you say Dylan they they like they they love the job like the job is something special and they put up with it because of that but you know it's it's funny it's like a world full of down on their look guys looking for their next project and Leslie Chung is bummed because his next project which is introduced by the way really in a really funny sequence um by it's Paul Chun I believe plays the the producer and he's very clearly a triad, but he's like, I think he says something like, like, I'm not a triad, I'm fine. And then he takes a phone call and tells him to burn down someone's shop. You know, it's like this this <laughs> great, like, gag that, you know, plays with the, the oft-reported thing of how, you know, triad finances intermingled with the Hong Kong film industry routinely. Um, and there's so many salacious tales in Hong Kong cinema about triad involvement up to, I mean up to this extremity of, like, Jet Li's manager getting murdered, uh, which is the less fun side of that whole thing intermingling. But, you know, it, it's it's just really funny that Leslie Chung's character is kind of like, I, you know, he really wants to make art, and he's handed a job, and no one else has a job, so he's got he's to make it do. It's funny, also, <laughs> just in contrast with, the like, these old older directors who have to just kind of get by with other gigs... To make a living, they keep running into this younger group of like film students uh, who are trying to make a movie on their own. And uh, Leslie Chung even comments like, "Hey, you guys are shooting on film in the world. The you know in the world of digital video, there's you know there's easier ways to do this." But it's kind of nice to just to see there's this younger group who have that spirit and they're young on in their their career and their passion to make something like just worthwhile. But, uh, you know, the the hard reality has not crashed down on them yet. Yeah, I think student student filmmakers exist prior to commercial interests. They're free in that moment. He's like romanticizing them. Yeah, there's an optimism about them that he's attracted to. It's, it's really, like you said, it's wholesome. It's wonderful. It's nice just to see the other side and of things. And they don't make fun of them in the movie. Like, you, you feel like no. they would have been like a really easy oh. joke. And it's just like, no, they just have like, there's just a bunch of kids making this movie. Yeah, it it is. It's it's very much like that's where they all see themselves. But I, you know, the whole thing is that 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 clash between you know artistic and pragmatism, and and 
students can do, you know, they've got a little bit more freedom, but they don't have resources and they're learning. And then, you know, Leslie Chung's character has all these, you know, he's got a cameraman and actors and production hands and everything. And he's, you know, he, everyone's depending on him to work, which becomes kind of a point too when he has a falling out with his producer. Um, he's played by Law Kar Ying, who's, who's, I think, really funny in this film because he's like, trying you know because because he's he's trying to he's trying to be the like even-handed producer ironing everything out but he's just not really great at anything um, and at one point tries to take over the film because he he realizes you know that Singh is is going to just leave he's he claps out and then everyone shuts down the production around him because there there's a certain solidarity there still uh you know as commercial as it has to be you know the director is still the director you know he he calls the shots on the set yeah, there's like I, I, don't know, I, I do like when the producer jumps in and and he directs the scene with uh, like they, they, he's supposed to be like kissing her leg and then he's just like sucker toes, <laughs> sucker toes, just like screaming it. And the 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 poor revulsion in the actor's face where he has he actually kiss her feet and sucker toes. It's it's just as it cuts to these grotesque close-ups of like the sweating producer yelling into the camera. It's fantastic. That's, that's masterful shit. <laughs> Sorry, Dylan, were you going to say something? I didn't no, even no, talk no, over you. I was going to say, yeah, and like, I think a lot of that wholesomeness comes from that what we see in the movie is sort of what was happening in the industry at the time. Because we, we kind of think, oh, the, you know, the, gold, the golden era of Hong Kong film was sort of the 80s, but that was also when the city was doing really well. But then by the time you get to the 90s, like everything, you don't really feel it at, at the start of the 90s, but like this is in 96. So this is sort of, I think it's in 96 when this was made. So it was, you know, only mm -hmm. a year away from, you know, the handover when Hong Kong was going to be returned to China. And so a lot of, you know, there was like a lot of people leaving, a lot of immigration. And the, you know, and the film industry took a massive hit. There was another thing of like, just they had to compete with sort of like the growing popularity of like that kind of growing return of Hollywood movies. Like sort of things like Jurassic Park and that, like Jurassic Park apparently was like such a big deal in Hong Kong. It would just you know, it just made everything locally look like shit. <laughs> and so then everyone was <laughs> just sort of like, effect. how how could we compete with Jurassic Park? Um, and that's where it kind of yeah, like that's where sort of this whole Category Three thing comes from because people tend to forget that Category Three doesn't come about till sort of the late eighties, and so it's relatively new. Like even talking about it now. And there's like a bit in the movie where I forget who says it. I think it's Law Guying as um as yeah, as Leslie Chung's like a producer slash manager where he says like you know it doesn't matter if you're making porn like just do a good job or make it well. And that was kind of the mentality of the time of just like and which is why we have so many of these category three exploitation films because it was like how can we get people to go to the cinema? It's like what will people go to see? And it's always sex and violence. And I think, the like, even, combination. Even, even Run Run Shaw, like, that was sort of something Run Run Shaw said towards the end of Shaw Brothers when they were putting out, like, a lot of, like, if you go through, like, the Shaw Brothers catalog, people always think, like, oh, yeah, it's all, like, martial arts movies, etc. It's like, no, there's a lot of porn. Like, there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of oh, really bad softcore <laughs> porn. Like, it is, like, I would say it's probably, there is more sort of, like, softcore porn and sex comedies than there are the martial arts movies. Like, I'm really not Those... surprised if there's more. And, like, even, you know, so even something, like, on that level of where we like to think of Shaw Brothers being prestigious, it was like, even they were like, no, we, we got to make sex movies because, you know, the, bo the box office is That's... down. 
That's interesting because yeah, I I would associate that more with like the eighties, but I I may well be wrong because I mean they they actually mention uh, uh, Leslie Chung's uh, mom in the film mentions that she would used to go with her with his dad to go see uh, Han Xing Li movies, which would be from mostly I think like the seventies in Shaw Brothers. He made like a lot of like you know what we say respectable erotic films. You know they weren't they weren't salacious. They would be well reviewed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't because obviously in the West for Shaw Brothers, it, it was clearly it's Kung Fu first mm. and then hopefully more is kind of maybe in the works right now. But like it's it's mostly it's Kung Fu and then it's like insane shit like Seating of a Ghost or Hex or whatever. But even all Black of that magic, later horror like, stuff has like, you know, like there's yeah. a lot of tits in those movies, like just randomly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, God, Seating of a Ghost is a. Uh, yeah, which is, is also, that the it's one where they push the actress up against like the plexiglass or like the the clear perspex? I you know I don't I don't remember <laughs> that ex- exactly, but frankly, that's because there's like eight things happening at any given time in that film. It is absolutely insane. It is also it's it's a pretty good movie. I gotta say it's it's an interesting revenge rape revenge drama. I you know it's it's but it's it's absolutely crazy like. You know, you're thinking like Boxer's Omen, which I think is getting, that's getting a release soon uh, in the West on Blu-ray. And I'm hoping it's going to bring a whole new generation of people to just look at that and be like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's, I mean, there's so many too, like. God, like fucking Oily Maniac. That's a a real treat. It's a classic. (laughs) But yeah. It's great too, because it's, it's fun that like, there's so many of these category three movies where you just look at the title or I mean, I guess, I guess oily maniac would be like pre category three, but kind of in, in the same mentality and wheelhouse, but you just look at the titles of this movie and you're like, that sounds amazing. And it, and it fucking delivers, you know, you want to, you want an oiled up maniac. You're going to get one. (laughs) That's true. There is no shortage of an oily maniac in that film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the best category three title. And I do recommend this movie is, um, it's called blue jeans monster. I never even. I think if you just look at the poster, I think you guys will want to watch it. So, um, yeah, it's got Amy. I'll be actually. It might not be a category three anymore. It might have been like downgraded because I have noticed there have been some movies which kind of got knocked down to just a category two. I think they were just like they probably just gave things a category three at one point because it it lent it an edge of you know oh it's it's there's gonna be sexy stuff in this. I mean, to, to be fair, Amy Yip never got naked in a movie somehow, despite <laughs> despite that being her whole thing. And as, I think Ching Mei Out also, I don't, did she ever do actual, like, quote unquote, film nudity? I'm, I'm not sure she ever did. They just. No, I think Ching Mei Out was too classy for that, even though she was, um, well, they, they reference it in the movie, because like, when, um, when Sing kind of goes, I want to yeah. replace the actress, or he goes, like, get me another actress. Or something, and then he goes, oh, even Wong Jing could make a movie of her, and goes, oh, get me Ching Miao, and I could do it. <laughs> Which, yeah, sure. Was was she Wong Jing's girlfriend at that point, or for a no, period? Like, I'm not so, 100% so Wong sure. Jing being sort of like, you know, the pervert that he is, he's always sort of like, there's like these so-called, <laughs> like, Jing girls, like these actresses he's always working with, right. who generally will, you know, show a bit of skin and stuff in their movies, and Ching Miao was the big one. Like, Ching Miao was sort of like, his muse if if someone like Wang Jing could have a muse <laughs> I yeah I, yeah I don't really get it but yeah there was like there was like her and um 
Kelly Lynn was another one, but then she kind of got respectable. She's the she's the one in um Johnny Toast Sparrow, the one they're all obsessed with. Yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, she Kelly kind Lynn. of started off as like being in Wang Jing movies as well, just being these kind of like bombshell, you know, kind of characters. And there's a whole bunch of them. Like even Charlotte yeah. Chung technically is one, even though I don't think she ever really did anything salacious. I think Ching Miao was always sort of borderline of, you know, she would never take anything off, but it was like, ooh, would she? Well, Amy Yip was just outright, yeah, you know, she she was somehow Hong Kong's greatest porn actress without ever having to show anything. <laughs> Which is an incredible skill set, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Good Lord. All right, well, uh, so normally what we do when we, when we start to wrap up an episode is... Uh, I, we have this section called putovers where I'm like, okay, you know, put over something great that you've watched recently or something. But I figured uh, without telling any of you, I might change it up a little bit. So we're talking category three. Oh, for God's uh, sake. <laughs> Damn you, Steve. Now, I know, I know. This is what I like. I got to keep you on your toes, Jack. You get too comfortable. That's the problem, you know? Uh, so let's say everyone, they listen to this episode, they go, holy shit, Viva Erotica. They watch it. They're like, this is great. If you had to give someone, okay, they just watched Viva Erotica, give, give them another Category 3 movie where you're like, fuck yeah, you gotta watch this. What's it gonna be? I'm so, I'm so disgusted that I actually have a pre-prepared answer for this, which is, which is 100% Red to Kill, which is the most outrageously <laughs> offensive film I think I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, and I don't know if anyone will ever release it in the West because it's so ridiculous. It's uh, has anyone seen Red to Kill? I think you gave me a copy of it. No, I have it on my Plex server. I think you, you sent me the file. <laughs> sure. Okay, so, so the story of Red to Kill is basically it's about a guy who murders women who wear red. But uh, th without spoiling too much, there is a, an, a plot element about like people with, with mental difficulties, like with, with, with mental handicaps. And it really leans in in the worst ways possible. It's really gross and offensive and then at the end of the movie they just like slap on like a title card saying like this is to raise awareness about like people with mental disabilities and it's just like <laughs> the least authentic or might even be at the start of it like it's like absolutely ridiculous it's a really it's a really entertaining movie because it's like utterly despicable in so many levels to me it, it is quintessential category three entertainment i don't know I mean, based on what you told me, it sounds less offensive than that uh, that movie that Sia made last year. Yeah, it, it's That's better than that, for <laughs> sure, than music. <laughs> uh, Dylan, how about you? What, what, oh, oh, do you want to go, Jake? <laughs> I just want to say, I think a good gateway to Cat 3 films is probably got to be Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Just the uh, humble tale of a man who's uh, wrongfully imprisoned and sets out to get revenge on everybody inside, and it turns into one of the goriest, bloodiest fucking movies you'll ever see. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that film is a lot of fun, and certainly one that lives to push the uh, Cat 3 envelope, at least in terms of violence. Because we were talking mm -hmm. earlier how like movies are never rated like so harshly based on their violent content and like well here's the movie for you that changes that so uh ricky oh the story of ricky is a it's a it's a total blast check it out that's a good one i'm gonna give a cheap answer um i'm gonna i'm gonna name three extremes 
So this was an anthology film that came out like in the early 2000s. Oh. And it's got, it has its three segments, as implied by the name, uh, directed by Fruit Chan, Park Chan Wook, and Takeshi Miki, Takashi Miike. And that yes. this is a Category 3 film. And I think mm-hmm. if you showed someone Viva Erotica, and then in it you have a character who's kind of grappling with how do I make you know, a classy slash artistic Category 3 film, then then I would then go, well, they exist. Here, what, watch this horror anthology by, you know, three really great directors. You know, it's, it's wild. I kind of mm. never even thought of that as a Category 3 movie, and yet I own a Hong Kong DVD of that, and it came with a little band on it with just Category 3 printed all around it, like a warning, <laughs> like, don't unwrap Two this. of those do need the Category 3 rating, though. Oh, and there's some zany stuff in yeah. that. Uh, mm-hmm. Really good, though, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Takashi Miike's section, I mean, particularly, is, I think, really... I've, I've still got my DVD, man. I've got, I've got the, uh, the Dimensions oh, Extreme dimensions uh, or whatever. Yeah. DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I, I mean, God bless him, because that was... I mean, that's pretty much my introduction to... Asian cinema was I would, I would walk into the video store and then you'd see like the Asian extreme and I'd be like I, I gotta see whatever that is it was it was great except as that an it, extreme teen it, it just it just <laughs> felt like for years after that and like it introduced me to like people like Park Chan-wook who's a really legitimately great mm-hmm. director uh, you know decision to leave really great movie you should all check it out uh, but you know 100% it was kind of like does Asia make normal movies it's like no not according to this no it's just all extreme <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, when, when I was like 16, I, I basically thought that every movie that came out of Asia was just like Ichi the Killer. Like that. that 100%. Was, yeah. like, like Hong Kong people do not show up to the cinema to laugh or, or romance. No, no, nothing like that. Just absolute just violence. Which and- <laughs> explains a lot about how my brain works, too. Because it's like, oh, yeah, like, like what, what was your introduction to Asian cinema? Was it Kurosawa? I was like, nope, not at all. It was versus. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it was verses. Which which actually is kind of interesting <laughs> to just tag like on at the end of this is that actually uh Japanese cinema, talking about like verses and stuff in Takashi Miike was was uh, a big influence for uh for uh Lo Chi Lung in this film. He he cites particularly Juju Atami, uh Tampopo's director as like an influence as a guy who like cuz cuz Japan was kind of figured out the whole art house porn thing. Because particularly when Nikatsu, the studio in the 60s, pretty much like in the unimaginable in the West scenario or one of the major film studios of a company just pretty of a country just pretty much goes like, we're just making porn now. Like the equivalent in the US of like Warner Brothers just deciding they're going to produce nothing but pornos from here on out (laughs) uh, with all the full heft of Warner Brothers studio. Uh, And Nikatsu did that and they... So many incredible directors moved in and out of that, um, including Juju Itami. And, and, you know, you had so many subversive, unusual films that were essentially like pornos, but not. They were they were doing all kinds of things. I think there was a, a you know, mm. that was a big influence on this film and the idea that you could make a porno that is something, you know, much more lofty or much more far reaching. Um, and I think what I really like, it, you know, summing up about Viva Erotic is really how the balance it strikes. It's it's. It's got the highfalutin ideals. It's also just a very funny movie. It's very touching. It's very nice. It looks great. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the kind of movie that you 
gotten it like you you would not predict what happens in the next scene at any point uh it doesn't you know which i think is maybe maybe the gift of all these these films like hong kong film industry in particular is there's mm-hmm. there's an unpredictability to them that you don't find so much in western cinema where you know you're kind of like i you know yeah. i know the general shape it's like in hong kong i i've watched a lot of movies from hong kong i do not know the general shape of a lot of their films particularly not category three like that is the stamp of you just don't know <laughs> you just don't know you just gotta keep watching i wonder if that is the gift of like yep. not having a really rigid classification system sort of if you're sure. just allowed to make whatever you want and then your only limit is that you know make sure it doesn't have too much violence or full frontal nudity or whatever or we'll slap the one classification that you know you have to have you have to be 18 or over to go see and then people can just make whatever while you know in america you know in the states it's always you know you have quite you know it's you know, how many different ratings are there? There's at least, you know, the, you know there's at least four, right? Four or five? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think. GPG, PG-13, Everything has to kind of ones. slot, you know, sort of neatly in sort of a rating so they can show it. And I wonder if that sort of is, that explains part of it. Like, if you, if you just, if there was no sort of rating system and you just let, you know, Hollywood go do whatever... But then even then, everything would just be, you know, I assume the big studios would just have focus groups of, so what do you want to see a movie about? <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. It's so funny we talk about the, the hyper-commercialism of Hong Kong cinema, but in the US, you can't make an NC-17 because Walmart just won't put it on the shelves. So, <laughs> cool. What, 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 had, what would have God. been, like, the last big well, NC-17 movie, if there has ever been one in, like, the past, however... Uh, God, what, there, there's been, Queen Shame was, uh, one, Shame was, there's been another one recently, what was it? Um, Yeah, I feel like something got one recently, but maybe it hit Netflix, was it Blonde? Blonde was NC-17, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. What about, uh, is, is Lust Caution, is that (laughs) NC-17? That's a category three. It was. 15 years. Well, yeah, Blue Valentine got the NC-17, and I think they... Oh, because they, they do it for real. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they, they fought right. it, I believe. Uh, one, of the, one of the NC-17 ones actually was Lost Caution, ironically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was just saying. Yeah. 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 They're oh coming God. back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That's what we need. Knowing the influence of this more, podcast, more we're going to see a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, we've been we've been pretty good with that so far. Like, I, I feel like we'll talk about something and then it'll like magically appear, or, like get released on Blu-ray or something like that. Oh, uh, I hope that happens uh, for also, I'm looking at, yeah. Well, I, and what I'm hoping is so. So my category three. You've watched these fine films that have been presented to you here, and I say, hey, why not branch out a little bit and watch uh, Naked Killer Two: Raped by an Angel. Huh? Why not? Uh, it's it's uh, a movie about a guy who, like, he's like a lawyer and he keeps raping people and, the, and like, the justice system won't throw him behind bars because he's too powerful. Uh, so then uh, this, like, model and her bud just uh, go and, and fuck the guy up. So it's great. Uh, uh, do I need to watch uh, Naked Killer 1, Steve, to get uh, the plot behind Rape by an Angel, Naked Killer 2? You know... Honestly, you don't, and that's that's the great thing about it's all, it. It's and already Naked conf- Killer One. Eh, it's already <laughs> confusing because because Rape by an Angel is not it, like it's kind of a Naked Killer Two sequel, but they're unrelated. There's a whole other whole, layer, yeah, Rape whole, by an Angel franchise. The Rape, the Rape by Angel saga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's oh God, like five and, yeah, of them. Exactly. <laughs> those movie, those movies in Chinese are just called Rape 
So just imagine ever having that as a movie poster. <laughs> I'm having that as a movie poster everywhere else. Just, just going down to your local movie theater, and then there it is, just rape number five. Wong Jing, Wong you Jing's mad, rape five. Like Jesus Christ. If, if oh, I remember rightly, Rape by an Angel has that incredible, and uh, this is the aforementioned Ching Mei Yao who plays the lead in it, and she's like a model, and there's this incredible like milk commercial in the movie where they're like firing machine guns. It's like a Vietnam War milk mm. commercial, if I remember correctly, which is, is that yep. referencing anything? <laughs> I, I'm not it, sure that you brought me. it up. I wonder if you yeah. just watched Robocop. It's Robo called Call. being cool as fuck. It's just good. <laughs> I, don't, I just remember yeah, the early like an does, ad it campaign. It does have a little Robocop there. Oh, wait, no, it's a total yeah, recall with the fake ads. Oh, shit. Well, they it, both Robocop do it. They both do it. It's fine. Too. Both, both references are fine. Yeah, there, there's something in, in Rape by an Angel where they're, like, at a, a campaign party and she was a model, but, like, I seem to remember it's, like... She's like running with a machine gun through like a pool of water in this advert, and at the end she like pops a carton of milk or something. Like there's something utterly <laughs> I don't understand what it's about. And I was like looking at it, just going like maybe maybe that's a joke about something on Hong Kong television. I have no idea, but it's it's very entertaining. I fully endorse this this endorsement as well, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we always uh, we always have the high class recommendations here. That's why people tune always. In, so, uh, well, we should probably wrap things up. So uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. Click on the link that's in the description. And where will that take you? That'll take you to our Patreon page. And why would you want to go there? So you can give us money. Podcasting is uh, it's expensive. It's confusing sometimes. We really had to figure out time zones this week. You know how hard that is? Uh, it's difficult. And if you donate any amount of money at all to our Patreon, I am going to send you, if you live in the continental United States, at least uh, a movie from my personal collection. Maybe you'll get three extremes. I'm, I'm looking at the DVD on my shelf right now. Uh, maybe you'll get uh, a, a bootleg copy of naked killer Two: rape by an angel. You don't know. You have no idea what's coming to you. Uh, will it be something that you'll want to share with your family? Maybe not. But maybe, I don't know what your family dynamic is, so I can't tell you either way. So, yeah, and if you donate at a higher tier, <clears throat> you can vote on content uh, episodes that, that we do. And if you, if you donate the highest tier, you get to dictate an entire episode. How exciting would that be? It would be super exciting. You want to you wanna watch the whole uh, Rape by an Angel <laughs> saga? I, I, we'll do it. I, we'll do it. I've already for twenty dollars. I've already done that, and no one told me to. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Is like I, I think of some of this stuff, and it's just like we probably would just have to do it. This is why Myros isn't on this episode, by the way, because he'd be like, "I'm not watching those angel rape movies. What are you talking about?" Uh, we're still gonna. Somebody needs to donate money, and so we can make him watch hentai. That's that's really where we're. That heading. is an ongoing so, goal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and I, I think if we, if we get the Patreon up to like a thousand dollars a month or something, we're going to sign Jack up for the army. Uh, that's that's been an ongoing. I didn't uh, realize that was still ongoing. <laughs> still ongoing. If we if we get there, uh, and then we're going to use all the Patreon money to buy Adam Myros uh, firearms, illegal firearms. So uh, we're putting the money to good use. I think it'd be funny if Jack was in the army. It'd probably be like in the army now, starring Paulie Shore, but slightly more Irish. Uh, so yeah, th think of the possibilities if you give us money. They're really endless. So 
Uh, please do that. If you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Uh, the steady march towards a thousand followers. We're so close. Just uh, give us a follow if you, if you haven't yet. Uh, help us crack the uh, the 1,000 mark, and I, I don't know, something special will happen. Hard to say. Or actually, Twitter's probably going to implode in the next few months, so fuck it. Uh, <laughs> Dylan, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the show, man. It's, it's been awesome Thanks talking with you. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug, that you want to promote? Uh, Twitter handle? Yeah. Shit, you're working uh, on my Twitter handles Futurism, um, but I'm sure I think if you just look up the Optimism Vaccine and Jack's Twitter, you'll find me there somewhere. So, yeah, all good. No, yeah, I, 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 I'm just a guy. Endorse I, Dylan. I can't, I can't plug anything else. I just, it, it, you feel, it feels no, unnatural to me. This is why I'm not famous. No, no, you, you gotta follow Dylan's Twitter because he just posts clips of like interviews behind the scenes Chinese movie stuff, but he subtitles them. And it's shit you won't find anywhere else. And that's amazing. So I hope Twitter doesn't implode because I don't know where else to find this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That that will just be poking you via other social media (laughs) platforms for this shit. But uh, yeah, follow Dylan on Twitter. He's a a good follow. He's a good guy. He knows his shit, obviously. So uh, Dylan, thanks again. And uh, Jake, last words yours. Violence plus nudity plus sex plus comedy. That's not filmmaking. That's selling out. 